Because two girls from her school are mean to her, one nosy Nancy seeks to ruin their family and leave them destitute. But how will this cautious Karen outwit her playground bullies? By collaborating with her father, a man who seems desperate to get rid of her by putting her in harm's way every chance he gets. In the end, the secret to the demise of those whom she despises is within an old clock. Our headstrong heroine must rely on happenstance and privilege to complete her fiendish mission and remain the queen bee of her hive. The Messy Meddler, Nancy Drew. The book, The Secret of the Old Clock by Carolyn Keene. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! the truth the whole truth about these privileged sleuths who y'all have celebrated for years hi readers this is kari and this is alexis and you're listening to lit society a show about books and drama alexis how you doing today girl I am doing well. Thank good. You. What How have you been you? up to? Good. You know, I have no complaints. Uh, what have you been up to? Anything you did for fun or self-care this week? I still love that question. Um, I, I There was a sale going out on at a local, uh, I say a salon. Oh, yeah. How did you and know about it since you don't leave your house? They sent you a flyer? Email. Email. <laughs> I, 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 went, okay. I went to the place before it, what is it called it's not a it's not like it's a hair salon it's a um beauty salon does, yeah she does um <laughs> lashes and yeah okay they still call those <laughs> you I gotta get out, out the house <laughs> i don't even know what it's called anyway it's a skincare beauty bar let's say that okay cool anyway so she sent out an email and was like hey i'm selling these um these little self-care kits for February for like $35. So I bought a self-care skin kit and a self-care body kit. I'm going to take advantage of that. My workload reduces drastically this month. So I'm going to use those kits as my gift and, um, you know, take a self-care day this month. I love that. I love the idea of um, as an entrepreneur, she's adapting to the current situation. I hope she finds much success with that. And I love the idea of us not allowing corona to make us look like you know anything other than we want to look like get away from them straight hairs <laughs> Frida Kahlo is gone <laughs> we true, do not have true. to reinterpret true. her look yeah Try, true. so I love mm-hmm. that girl I mean I was I'm on my way there so <laughs> okay this, uh, and no, you're not but Comes you know right on time we all got struggles I love it <laughs> How about you? What did you do uh, for fun or self-care yeah, this week? Well, for fun, I got an iPhone. Now, I don't know if you know. I, that's pretty braggadocious. <laughs> it's like a really, I mean, please go on. I'll let you finish. So okay. out of principle, I have avoided iPhones. Whoa. First of all, their cameras were terrible for so long. And I know iPhone users think cameras are awesome. You remember um, Crazy Rich Asians? Yes, yes, yes. So I was having um, breakfast with the star of the movie. 
Okay. To clean it up, I was in Soho and he was there with his wife. And I was like, hey, y'all, is this seat taken? This really happened. I'll put it on our Instagram. So um, I was like, well, why don't we just take a selfie since we are here? I'm that kind of fan. So you they are. were like, yeah, let's do it. They were just nice. And um, his wife was like, mm, why your screen so fuzzy? And I go, it's an Android. <laughs> and she goes, oh. So I thought, well, let me just get an iPhone. Two years oh. later, I got one. Um, so and you gave in to pressure. No, and I have Somebody a Mac now. Somebody made you feel some type of way. Uh, I don't so want to spend too long to on this. this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't want to. It's wanna, all coming okay. out. It's coming out. Go, please. Continue I do your feel story. a little shame. I think whatever the crowd is doing, you should almost always do the opposite. And as iPhone users become more um, violent toward Android users and aggressive, yes. I was really like, well, I'm never getting an iPhone. But then I got a Mac and I just don't feel like transferring my files from my phone for my Android phone to my Mac is a hassle. So I just got an iPhone. And mm-hmm. um, I will say, app creators, a lot of the cool apps um, for both desktop and your phone, um, like mm-hmm. Adobe products, they produce their products with Apple in mind first. So everything runs so much better on an Apple phone. It really does. It's faster, um, sometimes even clearer. Uh, and our logo, sometimes um, the Lit Society logo looks like it has a black backdrop on PCs and Android phones. It's truly a dark green. <laughs> okay, I'm getting real nerdy. But um, mm-hmm. for Listen. Apple users, you see those color variations more clear. Apple is paying you for this, okay? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they don't need the money. Let's move on. And you know what? It was self-care too. I feel a lot... Um, more cared well. for myself um <laughs> i got a lot of text messages from friends i don't know how they got an alert but now they know i have an iphone and people talked about me and it hurt my feelings like <laughs> welcome to the light um somebody texted me and said you finally moved from the broad and spacious road to the narrow road of life and i thought oh, what a way to apply the scriptures <laughs> And those are our friends. Ooh, so now, now it's time for Society Says Readers. <laughs> Let's recover. Where we share your comments with the rest of our lit society. Alexis, is there a comment you thought particularly lit that you'd like to share? You know what? I do have a comment. This is from Megan Lednick. And she posted for us on the Facebooker. <laughs> and uh, she said... I work at a bookstore and every time someone buys a book that's been on the pod, I tell them to listen. Oh, I, I love think that. that's like the best compliment ever. Yeah, this kind ever. of justified what we do. It adds some legitimacy to it. Like mm-hmm. we have a, a few listeners that are librarians or authors. And just to hear from them makes me think, oh, look at me. I'm somebody. I'm not, though. I'm but somebody. <laughs> we really appreciate you listening. That's awesome. I love we that. We do. How about you? Did you find something that's particularly lit? I did. This comes from Apple Podcasts and it's from a listener named Bear Toes. 
I love that. Uh, B-E-A-R-T-O-E-S. And I'm going to assume your nickname is Beto, uh, which is like short for Alberto in Spanish. But they say, awesome (laughs) and insightful podcast. The chemistry between Kari and Alexis is amazing. Instantly one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much, Berto. Thank you. It it took me a minute to process that. It has finally hit me. Okay. It finally hit me. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, listeners, remember if you want to have your comments shared on the show, please message us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. As you see, we go there once a year to find your comments (laughs) so please uh, don't be afraid to leave them there and we especially love when you leave a comment on Apple Podcasts along with the five star review Uh, go ahead and do that we might share your comment on the show thank you so much now for our theme of the week each week we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading and this week our theme is the curious case of Adnan Saeed Whoa, you jumped back on this one. I did. Uh, So we're reading today about a amateur detective with a good heart who just wants to save the world. But how practical is that thinking um, in everyday life, in reality? Alexis, do you remember the story of Adnan Saeed? And where did you first hear about Adnan? Uh. Yes, I do remember the story of Adnan, and it was a, I can't think of the name of the podcast. So but it's Serial. Serial. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to all the episodes on Serial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, if you don't know, the big boom with podcasts really came from, um, sorry, my cat is sneezing in the back. I don't know if you hear that, but the big boom in podcasts and the attention, um, the attention given to the medium came from serial. Really, you can place a mark there and you'll see that people's interest, although podcasts existed before. Interesting. Yeah, although oh, podcasts wow. existed before serial, after they became more popular. And serial was hosted by Sarah Koenig. Sarah mm-hmm. is an American journalist. She's legit um, out of Baltimore originally. And um, she's also a member of team This American Life. This American Life is one of the like most longest running successful podcasts because it's truly like a radio show that also is a podcast. But Serial, which was Sarah's baby, was just a podcast. Um, And it focused on the case of Adnan Saeed. Adnan, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. That's where I first heard about the case through This American Life. This American Life did a lot of promo for Serial since that was the sister show. Um, mm-hmm. And Serial, again, hosted by Sarah Koenig, focused on the case of Adnan Saeed. Adnan was convicted of the murder of Heyman Lee on February 25th, 2000 and sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. And he received this strict sentence. A lot um, a lot of his um, sentencing, this, this, I don't want to call it harsh because he truly may be guilty Um, but this sentencing was passed down because he refused to um, take accountability and say he was guilty he he has maintained his innocence and -hmm. if you know anything about sentencing um, and conviction and trials uh, even if you did it (laughs) even if you did it pleading or even if you didn't do it pleading guilty can often result in a lesser um, sentence 
which is really tricky and kind of gross. But that's that. Now, um, the reason for um, Adnan being convicted has a lot to do with Jay Wilds. And I'm just going to give an overview of this story. Um, But I'm going to start with Heyman Lee. Now, if you've listened to Serial Season 1, you know that Heyman Lee was born in South Korea in 1980 and immigrated with her mother and brother. They lived with her grandparents. She was an honor student, um, part of a magnet program at Woodland High School near Baltimore, Maryland. Um, And when she disappeared and, you know, everything came out about the trial, Sarah Koenig was a journalist there. And that's where she first heard of Heyman Lee and Adnan Saeed. Heyman Lee was also a lacrosse player, field hockey, had her eyes on the future. But then she went missing January 13th, 1999. Um, her family reported her, that her, she failed to pick up her younger um, cousin from daycare, uh, which was very unlike her. She was responsible. Um, a Baltimore police immediately began investigating her disappearance and called her friends. They gave you know their stories about the last time they saw her, things like that. And then they reached out to her former boyfriend, Adnan Saeed. And he said the last time he saw her was around the time classes ended at school. Mm -hmm. On February 9th, Lee's partially buried body was discovered by a passerby in a park in Baltimore. And this is sad for a number of reasons. Um, First of all, This confirmed that Heyman Lee was not just missing, but indeed deceased um, and that she um, likely lost her life at the hands of someone she knew. And then police turned attention on the person who found the body. And do you remember Serial even got into the podcast, even got into like how that man was a known streaker Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and they jumped from that to. Uh, that's how suspicion arose that he could also be a murderer. It was all over the place. Yeah. He did not um, kill Heyman Lee as far as the police are concerned uh, today. On February 12, 1999, the Baltimore City Police Homicide Division received an anonymous phone call suggesting that the investigators should focus on Lee's ex-boyfriend and classmate, Anand Saeed. And on February 16th, Baltimore police applied for uh, cellular phone records for a phone belonging to Saeed. Um, this is not the case anymore, but it used to be that when your cell phone pinged a tower, it could be admissible in a court of law that you were somewhere near that tower and your um, location could be tracked based on that cell phone um, information, cell phone Ooh, tower information. That, huh? As far as I know, that's not necessarily admissible because it's just giving a proximity of where you are and not your exact whereabouts. And your cell phone can ping a tower that is not closest to you. So that's um, not concrete information. And that's really what you need if you're going to convict someone of murder. Not Um, in real life. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So among the people in the call log was Jay Wilds. Um, Let's talk about Wilds a little bit. Um, so Wilds was the, was the state's key witness at trial. Really, the whole case rested on his testimony. Mm-hmm. And what came out in the podcast and during the trial was that the state was providing him defense. Can I just tell you that don't happen? <laughs> so you are wow. a witness in a case and the state is going to pay for your lawyer. That is a conflict of interest. And also, mm-hmm. why should they? 
So that was suspicious. The state ain't just giving out attorneys. You get a public defender like everyone else. No, they were um, financially backing his defense, Jay Wilds. Um, and the whole uh, case, again, rested on his testimony. He told police that Saeed had known him, um, had shown him, excuse me, Lee's body in the parking lot of a Best Buy. And I swear, Serial spent like five hours talking about the logistics of getting to this Best Buy and yep, a yep. phone booth near the parking lot. It's amazing how these little details can become so crucial uh, during an investigation to save your life if you did not indeed take someone else's life. And mm. in the podcast, you can feel that um, Sarah Koenig really wants to believe she's trying to stay neutral she does. but she believes that now <laughs> yeah yeah she and did there are, try though mm-hmm. yeah and there are some suspicious elements um around the case so but anyway um jay wilds back to jay um adnan's classmate he said that he and saeed both buried the body in lincoln park a park in baltimore at around 7 p.m that evening and his um, testimony was crucial it was the case i cannot stress that enough mm-hmm. um, but the source of wild's case is disputed more and more people understand now um, the type of co- coercion that can go on when you're taking when, when police are asking you questions and recording your answers especially without the presence of a lawyer even if you are innocent um and you have nothing to hide speaking to the police with no one else around and having whatever you say be admissible in a court of law can be very dangerous. Um, but in this case, Jay Wilde's testimony seemed to be like it was like the police were driving it. There was even a point. I don't know if you remember where Jay is like, stop the tape. And they do. Yep. 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 To I iron remember out that. and massage the story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Mm, mm. I haven't listened to that story in a long time. How many times Ooh. did you listen to Serial season one? I probably listened to it twice. That I can th- yeah, oh, twice. Oh, very good. Yeah. I will say seven times. Um, it was enthralling. It very, very much so. Very much so. so. A lot of people believe, too, that there are tapping sounds. Well, there are tapping and knocking sounds heard throughout the tape. And this may be an indication that... Um, officers were helping lead Wilds to the conclusion that they wanted him to uh, state out loud. Ooh, because after hearing these sounds, Wild w- would seem to remember certain aspects of what happened when he was with Adnan. Ooh, it's just he mm, he drastically messy. changed some of the things he said originally um, mm-hmm. to fit more with the state's case. Um, but according to Wilde, Saeed did indeed commit the murder. And as further evidence, the podcast notes undisclosed that th- that podcast notes that at one point in the interview, Wilde says top spots, which has no apparent relevance to this case. But the next point Wilde makes appears at the top of page two of a police document entitled Jay's Chronology. To sum it up. To a lot of people, it seems like the state wanted to convict Adnan Saeed and use Jay Wilds as their uh, tool for reaching their goal of convicting. I remember they did an interview with Jay. Um, I think it was Sarah and he didn't want to be on. He didn't want to be recorded. So she did it privately. She did it off um, without recording it. Okay, during serial podcast. Yep, yeah, during the serial mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I don't remember anything after that, but it just Jay never really wanted to talk about it. That's what I remember, like publicly. 
Well, unfortunately, the podcast basically outed him because <laughs> I don't know if they used a fake name on the show or decided not to get. No, they said no. Jay. They said that was, that was wild. Him. Yeah, because <laughs> the court court because um, people was talking about him online after that, and um, the court transcript might be public record, but it, it, it didn't have to mm-hmm. be a secret that Jay Wilds was the one. Yeah, so he faced some um, backlash and even support online. Ooh, yeah, that's kind of gross. I don't know if you remember, but of course you remember. They just showed up to his house. Yes. Yep. He yep. was trying to avoid them. He closed yep. the door in their face. They kept coming back. Ooh, yep, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, he also did. I thought you were talking about the interview he did in The Intercept. This is a more long form um, interview where he continues in 2014 to maintain that Adnan Saeed is guilty. And he even said, anything that makes Adnan innocent doesn't involve me, whatever that means. But he changed the time hmm. of the burial, saying that it happened after midnight in that interview, which was um, contrary to what he had stated in the case. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting because Jay Wilds also had some um, trouble with the law. Yeah, um, yep, yep, yep. And so it could be, um, insinuated maybe it was insinuated that it was by working with the state he cleared up his own legal troubles icky 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 mm-hmm. in 2019 just two years ago Wilde says that his statement about seeing the body at Best Buy came from the police <gasps> did you know that no I did not well, you know what? I just decided to look into what happened after all of this. So I got some more things. I don't know. You might know. Maybe you don't. Because you were really into it at the time. I know you're trying to downplay it now. But it no, was all I we was. talked about for a I while. Was. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, we haven't, I haven't thought about that in so long. Yeah. Wow. Well, physical evidence collected in 1999 was not tested for DNA during the initial trial process, but later was tested and Adnan Saeed's DNA was not found. Um, Saeed was arrested, um, uh, remember, February 28th, 1999. And a lot has changed as far Mm -hmm. as technology is concerned. Um, But listen, this was the conclusion of everything they found. Documents obtained by the Baltimore Sun in early 2019 show that Maryland prosecutors tested multiple items tied to the murder, including the victim and her car. But again, Saeed's DNA was not found on any of the items. On March 29, 2018, Maryland's Court of Special Appeals, the second highest court in the state, ruled that Saeed deserved a new trial. On March 8, 2019, the Maryland Court of Appeals on a four to three vote reversed the lowers court appeal for um, a new trial. Effective, mm. Effectively, they denied that he could receive a new trial. And the Court mm. of Appeals agreed that Saeed's legal counsel at the time was deficient. And they go into detail about that in the serial podcast. Um, but the court also ruled that it would have it wouldn't have been enough to have swayed the jury to change their decision had the um, lawyer for Saeed been more efficient because the evidence was so strong against him. It does little more than call into question the time that the state claimed Miss Lee was killed and does nothing to rebuke the evidence establishing Mr. Saeed's motive and opportunity to kill Miss Lee. That's a quote. They also ruled that Saeed's right to reexamine claims about the cell phone tower evidence had been waived because the issue had been raised as part of Saeed's original petition. And Mm -hmm. on um, November 25th, 2019, the Supreme Court of the United States 
rejected Saeed's appeal for a new trial. So he's there. Okay. So this Mm -hmm. podcast opened a lot of uh, cans of worms. Of course, the family of um, Heyman Lee always felt that um, that Saeed was guilty. And the podcast just re-cemented their feelings of his guilt. It didn't persuade them that he was innocent. And it it forced them to kind of relive all of this because the the cereal was huge and it was talked about everywhere, Mm -hmm. but that was their family member that died and they didn't want any part of this. They're not on the podcast. It seems like almost everyone else that ever knew her is. And how fair is that? Especially since in the end, you know, Serial Season 1 is the most downloaded podcast series of all time with over 100 million downloads. Um, again, they walked up to Jay Wild's house, outed him on the Internet, and, you know, he faced public and private speculation. That ain't right. That's mm-hmm. not right. Asia McLean, who, um, oh, yeah, remember? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sarah Koenig um, insinuated that if if. Adnan's original lawyer had brought on Asia McLean to testify that things would have gone differently because Asia said she saw Adnan at a library at the time um, Heyman Lee was being killed. And so it obviously couldn't be him. However, um, she later went back on that statement and then went back again. And it's a mess. However, she does have a book called Confessions of a Serial Alibi. Yeah, Asian McLean has a book. Wow. We had somebody who was connected to the case work for us. I know. That's what I remember. He uh, came in and he answered some questions as best as he could. Um, And that was intrigued. That was very engaging. Oh, my goodness. I remember. So I have to ask, in the end, do you think it was all worth it? For anybody? For anyone. For anyone involved, aside from those that benefited from the podcast and its profitability? Oh, probably not. No. I mean, because especially since Adnan didn't even get a new trial. Yeah. And um, again, Heyman Lee is indeed dead. So the grief her family feels cannot be disputed. Mm -hmm. And they had to relive that. At the same time, I hope I don't sound judgy when it comes to serial because I was all up in it. It's mm-hmm. the first podcast outside of This American Life that I really listen to regularly. And I know a lot of us feel the same and can relate mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like all accomplices. I mean, I think I subscribed to MailChimp after hearing the ad for like 500 <laughs> times. MailChimp? MailChimp. Yep. So um, Ooh, that was something. Boy, that was a time. And you definitely, I mean, we have to question, you know, if justice is always carried out, especially when it comes to people we know and love. Uh, Yeah, just like our heroine does in the book we're reading today. Um, But this is one of the most famous cases of a uh, nosy Nancy, in this case, a a stringent Sarah Koenig, who uh, did her best to bring to light evidence uh forgotten ignored or uh, provided in court and in the end Adnan's still in jail Mm -hmm. and Heyman Lee is still deceased um so no new murderer found so do you think Adnan did it (laughs) I might as well ask you yeah you used to always ask me that and I couldn't commit but I I feel like he you know what 
I could go back and forth with that. I'd have to listen again, but I, I'm going to say no. You don't think but, he did it? But then, it, but then in some of his interviews with her, I would question him. Oh, I just went back and forth with it. I still don't know. I don't know. Because he I sounds wouldn't. like he could be manipulative, like yep. that type of um, manipulation where... Um, he's never met Sarah, but he has this connection with her over the phone and he talks to her like an old friend. They talk yep. to each other like yep. they're trusting confidence, yep. even though it might not um, on the surface be that type of dialogue. They're not calling like, hey, friend, hey, friend. But in right. their tone, their cadence and the way they share opinions, they're talking like friends. And that's mm -hmm. tricky uh, as a journalist. You know, you want information out of your subject. But when do you cross that line into letting them into your heart? And I feel like Sarah really believed Adnan's innocence, uh, but the court don't. Right. And but then <laughs> what happened at the end? She was she never made like a I believe he's innocent. No. Nope. At the end. She well, didn't she say that. That's not her place as a journalist. But that's what she she was hoping to do. And she <laughs> she she said that. Oh, That's did what she? I remember. But I, she couldn't say it. She she didn't. She couldn't say. She didn't know. Yeah. And I feel like her. I don't know. But it, ugh, that was so. Boy, I was involved in that. And the tricky thing with him is he only needs to really remember where he was for 15 minutes that day. And he can remember, he remember everything that. else but that. Not that. Yeah. Wow. And he said, I know it sounds weird, right? That's him. Like, yeah. yes, it, yeah, I know it sounds weird, but I just can't remember. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, that makes me want to go back and listen. Oh, all right. Well, you ready to take a break? Yep, please. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Give us some background on our author, um, Carolyn Keene, and perhaps her inspiration for The Secret of the Old Clock. I cannot give you any inspiration, but I can tell you all about <laughs> Carolyn Keene. Do what you do then, girl. I'm listening. Okay, listen. Did you know that Carolyn Keene is a pseudonym for authors, plural, of the Nancy Drew and the Dana Girls mysteries? Yeah. I did not. More I don't know anything about this book. More than one person uh, wrote um, Nancy Drew Mysteries. Karen, Carolyn Keene is the pen name associated with um, Nancy Drew spinoffs like the River Heights and the Nancy Drew Notebooks. The stories were originally produced by Stratemeyer Syndicate, which was founded by Edward Stratemeyer. I hope I'm saying his name right. They're um, credited as being the original um, or the first and primary writer was Marilyn Wirt Benson. And at the time, writers would have been paid like $125 for each book. And they were required to um, give up their any rights to the work and maintain confidentiality. Oh, man. There were at what least, year is this? Mm, the book was published in, I want to say, 1930. Yeah, oh, August, okay, okay. April 28, 1930. Um, there are at least 12 writers, both men and women. When uh, Marilyn Benson withdrew from writing the books, Harriet Adams, the daughter of Stratemeyer, 
rewrote the original books and then added new titles. Also, Harriet's daughter was involved in the writing process and helped with choosing book names. As I mentioned, the secret to the the secret of the old clock was originally published April 28, 1930, and it was rewritten in 1959. And in 2001, the novel ranked 53rd on the publisher's weekly list of all-time best-selling hardcover children's books in English, having sold about 2.7 million copies. And all that money goes to the publisher. Mm-hmm. In the original Ooh. writings, Nancy Drew was 16 when it was rewritten by Harriet. Uh, she was 18. And that's all I have. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. Now, can you please give us a brief, no spoiler synopsis of Nancy Drew and the secret of the old clock? <laughs> you know, let me just tell you, your intro was a little judgy. <laughs> <laughs> I got some opinions about Nancy. You got a lot of opinions about Nancy, (laughs) but let me go. 18-year-old Nancy Drew likes to solve mysteries. While assisting a young girl who fell from a bridge, Nancy learns that the girl's aunts were supposed to inherit money from a friend who recently died. But instead of money going to this family, the aunts, or other families in need who were expected to get the money, they learn the money is left to an already well-to-do Topham family. Believing there's a second will that spreads this money around, Nancy Drew is determined to find the whereabouts. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? I think if you, um, you know, in your heart of hearts, love stories about privileged teenagers being nosy and saving the world. Um, <laughs> it made me think a lot about Clueless, which we know is inspired by Emma, but I see a lot of Nancy Drew in it also. Uh, if you like those type of stories, I think you, and also a, um, uh, a mystery novel with low stakes where, you know, people aren't going to get murdered or anything gruesome. It's just going to be a fun little whodunit. Um, If you like that, then you'll love this. And you, Alexis, (laughs) what were your first thoughts of this book? Well, I, when I, my niece recommended it to me. So I was like, okay, I think I I remember reading Nancy Drew. I'm not sure which series I read. So it was kind of a feeling of nostalgia and like glad to get back into one of those um, good old books from my youth. Mm, Good old books. Oh, that's loaded. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've never read Nancy Drew. (laughs) So thank you for, um, you know, exposing me to this. (laughs) And now, (laughs) are you ready for a spoiler filled deep dive into the secret of the old clock? Alexis, please take it away. Okay, here it comes. Oh, the spoilers. Nancy Drew is 18. She just graduated from high school, I believe, but she just received a brand new dark blue convertible as a birthday gift. And she is driving along and she notices this little girl running to the street. And at the same time, a van is turning out of a driveway and they blow the horn at the little girl. The girl is startled by this and she runs right in front of the van and then um, jumps like on this wall, on this bridge, and then falls off the bridge. And the van speeds away. So Nancy's driving and she sees all of this commotion. So she, the girl 
this girl is down by the embankment and Nancy goes and gets a girl. Her body is partially in the water and she's like unconscious. So Nancy goes down, gets the girl, brings her back up and is to try to take her to the house that she saw her run from. Well, as she's walking the girl to the house, a woman comes out and says, Judy, Judy, that's the little girl's name. And Nancy tells the woman that Judy is okay. And the woman asks Nancy, did you hit her with your car? Is that what happened? <laughs> and Nancy quickly says, no, no, the girl fell off the bridge. Then another woman runs out. Oh, my God, her baby, what happened to her? And again, Nancy tells her she'll be all right. And they take little Judy into the home. And as soon as they lay Judy down, she they know she's all right because she starts to move a little bit. So the women introduce themselves as... Um, the guardians of Judy. They are Edna and Mary Turner, great aunts to Judy. And when the girl wakens, she sees Nancy and she asks who she is. The girl says, did you see me fall? And the great aunts tell her, tell Judy that Nancy actually rescued her. And Mary goes into the kitchen to get some medication and some compresses to kind of care for Judy because she's got this knot forming on her head and asks Nancy to come with. And this is a time when people is just like, they freely share their business, Kyrie. <laughs> they just freely share their business. That's what they do. Especially so, lonely uh, people. <laughs> so Aunt Mary then apologizes to Nancy for thinking she hit Judy with the car. And Nancy said, oh, don't worry about it. So Aunt Mary proceeds to say that Judy's been orphaned. Her parents died in a boat accident. And they're her only close relatives. Nancy said that, well, Judy looks happy and healthy. So she's doing all right, y'all. Aunt Mary says... We do the best we can. We got what our little bitty income. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we do be struggling. Yeah. In fact, we just so. I was like, did they want Nancy to give them some money? <laughs> Why are they acting so pitiful? That that's. I'm just saying, people was just revealing all their business back in the day. We're broke. I saw <laughs> you uh, hit my daughter with your convertible. I don't know. God. You had some change. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But they had just gave the, some sold some furniture to two men in the van that that the van that Nancy I hit had the seen little girl. Yeah. That startled the little girl. They are also <laughs> dressmakers, but unable to do what they're used to what they used to because they're a little older. They almost let Judy go to the state because they was just, you know, low financial means. But they fell in love with Judy and they were just concerned about the, her future. They wanted to give her all that she was capable of. You know, they wanted to. Yeah, they wanted her, her to flourish. go to college mm-hmm. and be um, yeah, self-sufficient. Yeah. But not, yeah. But their funds were low. And and then Nancy tells our manager that since little Judy. It's so smart. She could get her a scholarship or something. You know, should be fine. Some financial aid should be all right. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, this is a, a typical privileged response. Like, but she's so smart. This girl who I don't know. And I just saw her dumbly <laughs> fall off a wall. This she's little girl's so smart. She's fine. <laughs> she's fine. And she'll get a scholarship because she has brains. They're rattled. But she still got them. <laughs> Well, Aunt Mary continues that there was a cousin of um, their father whose name is Josiah Crowley, who had died a couple months ago. And he used to visit and help out. He loved little little, um, Judy. And he promised to leave them some money. And Aunt Mary and Edna were dependent on them dollars. They was counting them chickens. (laughs) 
before they, they got him. Yep. Mm-hmm. They was counting on him. And he didn't seem to carry out his promise. They were not left anything in the will, so it would seem. So they was like, ooh, man, now we stuck. We got this time. We got to raise her with no money, no mm-hmm. ends. Life is hard. And Nancy's like, hmm, wonder why Mr. Crowley didn't get him no money. I mean, is they bad people? Anyway, and this is the first time I'm like, Nancy, mind your business and go home. <laughs> but as if reading Nancy's mind, Aunt Mary said Josiah went to live with some other cousins. And after that, things changed. He would rarely come to visit. He did stop by in February before he died. But he repeated that same thought that he was going to leave them some dollars. OK, that's what he said. So it was strange that he had suddenly stopped visiting. Actually, Aunt Mary said, maybe, you know. These cousins he went to live with, they well-to-do, and they live up in River Heights. They're the Topham family. Nancy's like, yeah, yeah, I know them. They got two daughters named Ada and Isabel. Yeah, I know them. Nancy said, um, Nancy noticed that Aunt Mary was a bit cool when she mentioned the girls. But Aunt Mary asked, do you like them? That's why. <laughs> do you like them girls? Do you? Nancy but was, Nancy was raised right. and She Nancy, doesn't gossip. She don't gossip, okay? She said, we went to school together, but we are not close friends, okay? We just don't see eye to eye on things. Mm-hmm. And Mary just closed that conversation up because Mary don't gossip. She Nancy don't gossip. Right, mean. Nancy don't gossip, okay? So Aunt Mary then tells Nancy that when Josiah died, Mr. Topham, Ada and Isabel's father, produced a will that had identified him as the executor of the state and left all the money to him, his wife, and his two daughters. Nancy says she remembers it from the newspapers. Nancy asked if Josiah's state was large. Now, Josiah Crawley, again, is the man that died. Aunt Mary said, I understood it was a considerable amount um, of money associated with his state. In fact, some of the other cousins had said the same thing, that he promised to leave money to them. Some other cousins, some other friends, that kind of thing. And so some of them was like, we're going to go to court, get our monies. But they just can't help thinking that possibly there's another will out there. Once Nancy was convinced that Judy was well, she decided to leave. Judy spoke up as she was leaving and said, hey, come see me again. I like you. You saved my life. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Nancy was like, yeah, I'll come back. I like you, little girl. And as Nancy was leaving, Edna noticed that they silver teapot was missing. And then she noticed that they silver candlesticks was gone. And then they immediately went. At this point, I'm like, oh, these aunties are some scammers because they done got Nancy in the house. They saw her convertible. First, they was like, did you hit our little girl, Judy? Because we going to sue you. But Nancy was like, no, it wasn't me. And they was like, "Okay." Then they was like, oh, we so poor and we want to give Judy a college education, but we destitute. And Nancy's like, that really is terrible. Nothing I can do for you. And they're like, okay. And so now Nancy's leaving the house and the aunties are like, our silverware is missing. I had a stack of $500 bills on the table and now it's gone. And they looking at Nancy and I was like, man, Nancy, you got scammed. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you mind your business, Nancy. So what really happened is they then think, oh, these Men just left and took our furniture. They must have took our silverware. And then I was like, well, why didn't they think it was Nancy? And then I was offended for some reason. (laughs) 
too. It, it very well could have been, but it wasn't because she was mm-hmm. in the kitchen with I'm Mary, okay? Mm-hmm. Nancy said, well, who are these men? Dante says, no, I will know. They just came knocking at the door and asking if we were selling old furniture. And we was like, yeah, we selling it. <laughs> so, And the aunties, they phone was out of order. So it was tough. You know, they couldn't call the police immediately. So Nancy said, I'm going to go chase after that van. Yes, this really happened. (laughs) Nancy jumps in her convertible and then uh, drives after the van. But then she came. A van full of men (laughs) that steal from old ladies. What a terrible uh, role model for young children. (laughs) So then she she gets to this like, um, what is, what do they call it? This intersection. And she couldn't figure out which direction they went. So she said, well, let me just go on back home. And if I see him, I'll tell. But I'm going to go tell the police (laughs) too, okay? I'm going to tell the police on my way home. What was she going to do when she caught up with the van? (laughs) She was going to stop (laughs) him. See, this girl don't think ahead. I don't like her. She was going to stop him. She was going to stop him. So she makes it to the uh, police station. She tells the police what little information she has. And they tell Nancy that they're going to set out an alarm for these men that have stolen and stuff. Based on her word alone. Wow. Yes, indeed. The power. <laughs> and as Nancy continued home, she started thinking about, why did Josiah Crowley not give these women his money? That's so weird. Mm, the she's so caught already. up in other people's business. <laughs> I'm so sick of Nancy already. I'm going to mute my mic. Go ahead and talk about Nancy. The Topham's already got money. Why would why would he not, you know, why he giving all his money to them? Nancy didn't know Mr. Topham, but she knew the wife and the girls. And um, all the girls talked about was money and social status. And she's, uh, Nancy said they were obnoxious. So Nancy decided she'd ask her dad about it um, to see if there was a way that the Turner sisters could get their money. Now, Nancy's dad is Carson Drew. He's a well-known lawyer in their hometown, River Heights. And he frequently discusses his puzzling cases with Nancy's. They'd be chatting about him. So Nancy shares the story of what happened with the aunties and with her father and their housekeeper, Hannah. And Nancy then says, it's a shame that Josiah Crowley didn't leave his money um, to the Turners and the other other relatives that need money. Mr. Drew says, but unless a later will turns up, this it's, it's going to be the way it is. The way it is, the Toppins get the money. That's it. That's the way it's go. Mm-hmm. Hannah had mentioned that now, Hannah is a housekeeper, and so she says, you know, it's a well-known fact that Mrs. Topham and her daughters mistreated Josiah, um, Josiah Crawley, and their excuse was he had some eccentricities, and he was just really difficult. So he deserved his mistreatment. That's what they had said. So Mr. Drew says, well, they're not known for being especially charitable people, but they did give him a home, okay, it don't matter that they treated him like that woman treated the writer in misery. <laughs> right. He had a place to live. Hannah said, well, they only gave him a home because they wanted him to leave all his money to them. Right. And people in River Heights already know that. And they was talking mm-hmm. about that already. So Nancy didn't know Josiah Crowley, but she had seen him around and she thought he looked like a nice man. His wife had died during the influenza 
uh, epidemic. And after that, he stayed with various relatives. He had known to been he was known for paying his bills. He paid his bills and he did favors for relatives and the people he stayed with. And the relatives, although poor, had been especially kind to him. And they tried to make him comfortable and happy. And this is all after his wife died. So Nancy, Nancy asked her father to tell her everything he knew about Josiah Crawley. And he told her that Mr. Crawley had made it public that he intended to provide for several of his deserving relatives and friends. Then the Topham family, who hadn't shown previous interest, suddenly had a change of heart and begged Josiah to stay with them. And Josiah finally consented. Shortly after he moved in with the Tophams, um, Mr. Drew was told that Josiah decided to leave all his money to them. And as time went on, he became more and more happy, unhappy, and would slip away to go visit other family members and friends. And he intended (laughs) to change his will. Mm-hmm. But then one day, Josiah became critically ill. And just before he died, he tried communicating something to the doctors. But the words that he said other than will were unintelligible. And so after the funeral, only one will was there and it left the fortune to the top. Of so that's the story. All of it. Mm-hmm. All his dollars. Nancy said, there has got to be another will. Got to be. <laughs> Did anybody look for another will? Did they even try? Mr. Drew said, if another will shows up, Richard Topham, which is the father, will fight it. Josiah's estate is considerable and the Tophams are unlikely to share. So until another will is is found or shows up, there's nothing that can be done, even if the relatives file a claim. Nobody believes the Tophams should get the money, but legally they can have it because that's the will that exists. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Drew mentioned there are other women who are in the same way, uh, same situation as the aunties struggling and in need of extra money. And all their, though they're not relatives, they were favorites of Josiah Crawley. So Mr. Drew also in his retelling of what happened with uh, Josiah, he said uh, about a year ago, he was at the bank and Crawley came in with an attorney that he knew that specializes in wills and he overheard a few of those words and he knew understood them to be talking about a will. So Crawley made an appointment and he figured he'd talk to that attorney about the situation. So Nancy is like, well, if he had an attorney, why wouldn't that attorney come forward? That only makes sense. But her father said, well, there's probably not a, a will. Because if he had it, he'd be required to come forward. So Nancy asked her father to follow up with the attorney and see what happened. But Mr. Drew is like, Nancy, that's a delicate topic. I can't really be asking people about their cases and whatnot. (laughs) I want to be in other people's business (laughs) just like you, Nancy. But it's harder for adults. (laughs) Nancy is like, listen, remember, y'all went to school together. You can get some information from him. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Drew is like, well, okay, I will. I'll invite him to lunch and you can come too. So the next day, Nancy <laughs> goes so shopping because she's it's an upcoming dance. It's a party coming up, and Nancy wants to be all ready for the dance. So when she gets to the store, it's busier than usual, and she got to sit and wait. But then she hears Anna and Isabel. This is the top of girls, y'all. And they're demanding some immediate attention despite the store being busier than usual. And they insist on better service because <laughs> do you know who we are? Do you? And so they even threatened to report 
the sales clerk or, and even have him discharged from the store. So they cutting up. OK, <laughs> they say discharged a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you will be fired uh-huh. from the store. Discharged. So when Ada and Isabel see Nancy, they're like, ugh. It's her. Ugh, gross. There's that girl <laughs> who's always in other people's business. Mm-hmm. And Nancy is pleasant because, you know, she was raised better. And she was oh. like, hello. <laughs> hello. And- Why are you speaking to us, Nancy? You know we don't we don't like you. See, I'm kind of on their side just a little bit. We going to get the service we pay for in the store. Okay, do you know who we are? Go do, do your job. Nancy, why are you so close? I see you. You somebody. Get out my face. So Ada, Ooh. one of the sisters, she like, I don't even see Nancy. Who is Nancy? Okay. And then so a saleswoman comes up and she starts um, trying to help the the girls. And Ada and Isabel start showering the woman with abuses. So they're like, you need to hurry up, you lazy. Get my work. Get so my the dress. sales clerk was lazy and incompetent and they didn't have time for it. <laughs> And while I do not agree with disparaging um, service workers, whether it be wait staff or, you know, retail workers, sometimes you got to let people know, hey, hey, um, I'm not here to hang out with you. Go do your job. Nancy, why is you in my face? And Nancy just there like, y'all not raised right. See, Nancy, old money (laughs) and they new money. And so Nancy acting away. But that's okay. Go ahead. In real life. In real life. So the saleswoman brings out these dresses because they looking for, you know, it must be an event in town. And they looking for some fabulous dresses. So she starts so, uh, showing them dresses. And Isabel and Ada's like, ugh, this is disgusting. Ugh. So all the dresses were ugly. Mm-hmm. Why'd you even bring out these ugly dresses? I told you we too rich for this. We don't have time. <laughs> yes. And so Nancy is like, sees the dress hit the floor and she's like oh that dress is cute and she goes to grab it and Ada was like leave that dress alone nobody asked for your help that's our okay, dress okay but Alexis do you see what's going on here this manipulation that Nancy is carrying out so Nancy Nancy's issue is that the girls don't like the dresses threw it on a chair and then accidentally stepped on it and so Nancy want to show how right she is in this situation so she goes skips the line and goes and grabs the dress. Now, these the service worker is working with those girls, not with Nancy. Nancy, why are you here? The and, dress and I'm not done is with that on dress. the floor. But that's none of your business, Nancy. Go somewhere and sit down. Go to the food court. Leave us alone. Man, I hate Nancy. <laughs> She's annoying. I'm not kidding even a little bit. Nancy, go mind your business. This ain't your business. Go find your business. Nancy liked the dress, okay? Nancy liked the dress. But it wasn't her turn to be waited on. It's fine. Go ahead. So Nancy is trash. She go get the dress and she thought it was cute. And Ada snatched it from her and the dress had ripped and stuff. So, and then. Because of Nancy not minding her business. And Ada was like, girl, let's get out of here before they blame us. (laughs) So then the girls had to leave. And Nancy's like, I'll take the ripped dress. Because I'm I'm so righteous. <laughs> and so Nancy did. She took the ripped dress and Nancy got a discount because they mended that dress right away. But while she was there. Um, and how they mend chiffon. You know, this is a f- real fictional fiction. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to shut up. When this, Nancy is annoying. When this house clerk returned, she asked what happened to her customers. And Nancy was just like, they left. 
I mean, she didn't really say nothing. She just kind of pointed to the elevator like they left. So, and I was looking for a dress. So I want this dress right here. And they was like, okay, we'll give it to you. We'll fix it up all nice and pretty for you. So then the sales clerk get a little comfortable, right? And she started talking about the Topham sisters. She said they so unreasonable and they even worse since they got Josiah's money. And then she lowers her voice and starts <laughs> spilling the tea. She said, even though the estate ain't even been finalized, the girls are already counting that money. They count them chickens, y'all. And she even heard overheard a conversation that they had, like where they said, Oh, I guess there's no question about our getting old Crawley's fortune. But I wish our father would stop worrying about whether or not somebody gonna show up with a second will. Shoot, this money is ours. <laughs> now they messy. They shouldn't be even having this type of conversation in public. <laughs> but the saleswoman heard it and she told all of that tea to Nancy. But don't forget, Nancy don't gossip. So while she was glad she heard that information, she was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> I wish y'all could see these faces uh, Alexis is making. <laughs> <laughs> but it left her believing that there is another will. Okay. So Nancy pushes forward because there is another will. Okay. Mm-hmm. During lunch with Nancy's father and that other attorney we mentioned, Mr. Drew asked if the Crawley estate is settled. And Mr. Ross said, the other attorney said, well, he's not the attorney estate, but he's paying attention to what happens because last year, Josiah came to him wanting to draw up a will because he wanted to spread his money around to several people, but he wanted to write it himself. So Mr. Rostad took him to his office, gave him instructions on how to do it, answered his questions. And Josiah promised that he'd have Mr. Rostad look at his will after he prepared it. But he never came back. Josiah never came back to Mr. Rostad. Mr. Rostad said that since he never came back, he's not sure if there's another will or if the will was handled profitably. Because if Josiah had the required number of witnesses, um, it could stand. If he wrote that will, but if he didn't have the required number of witnesses, it could be invalid. So whether it's existing or not, there are certain steps that needed to be followed. If he followed, it could stand. If he didn't, it could be contestable. They want that will to not have any loopholes in it for the Tophams to contest it or drag it to court. So Nancy, again, that conversation leaves her determined to find this second will. The next morning, Nancy feels stumped, but she doesn't know where to start. She's got to figure out where this will is. Her father told her that he found out the names of these two other girls that were expecting to be included the will in the will. Their names are Hoover. And so Nancy heads out to a location and just to the location where they live and starts looking at the mailboxes for the Hoover name. And she stumbles, um, she comes into a storm and then she goes in as she's, you know, she's got a convertible, right? So it's raining and she can't get the convertible up. And the convertible is new, y'all. Why is the convertible top ain't yeah, coming thought, up? Because her daddy trying to get rid of her. He <laughs> hoping that a rainstorm, a lightning storm will take her out. It's a few situations in this um, where her dad will be like, well, that's gravely dangerous and you could die. But I think you should do whatever your heart tells you, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> do you need some keys? <laughs> I support you, honey. (laughs) So she's stuck in this storm and she meets these two girls, these Hoover sisters. They live alone. They got limited means. They poor. 
in this storm, Nancy pulls into this Hoover home at they have a farm, a barn. So she's over there. They live alone. They got limited means. Their parents died a couple years ago. The girls are all about the same age. Even though her intent is to find them, she doesn't tell um, the Hoover sisters that um, that's what she came for. She don't tell them. Yeah, just yet. she's very deceptive. So she's Subtle. like, hey, it's a storm. Subtle. Can I shelter here? And they're so sweet. They're like, yeah, come, you know, sing with my, me and our family. And, you know, it'll be great. And Nancy's like, gotcha. <laughs> now I can learn all your business, too, because I'm addicted to other people's business. <laughs> So Nancy, like the opportunity don't come up for her to, um, you know, ask about Josiah Crowley. So she like about to leave. Oh, then she notices this picture on the wall. She compliments it. And the sisters are like, hey, that was given to us by this really nice man. Our uncle, his name is Josiah Crowley. He ain't really our uncle, but, you know, we was really friends. He used to live next door to us on the farm over. But he he had died and stuff. So Nancy was like, oh. Please tell me more really? about that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. please tell me more about that. And so, yes, why their parents were alive. Josiah lived next door. And after he um, moved to live with the Toppums, he would come back and visit and tell him he didn't like the Toppums because they weren't kind. And Josiah treated the sisters like they were his own children. And so the last day they saw him alive, the last day they saw him alive, he told them that he planned to surprise them and it was going to be in his will. They surprised. Then the Toppums got everything. So he they just assumed he changed his mind. So Nancy tells them that, you know, I was actually on my way over here to talk to y'all about that. My <laughs> daddy is a lawyer and he'll help y'all. We just looking for another will. What you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happened. So they gave uh, Nancy all the tea. Yes, they did. So Nancy immediately goes to tell her father about the conversation she had with the Hoover sisters. And he invites them to come. He said, why don't y'all come to my office? Tell me all y'all know. And then um, we can go from there. Mr. Drew learns that Josiah was absent-minded and often put items in a safe place, air quotes. But (laughs) they were so safe, he almost never found them again. The Hoover sisters also reported a different time when Josiah said the Topham's think they're getting all of his money because he lives with them but he had a plan to make another will and he'd hit it because he didn't want to trust a lawyer so nancy and her father start to think well like wow if he did that maybe the toppums already know about it and they found it and destroyed it Uh oh no yeah so a few days later Nancy was going for a walk and she came across the Topham sisters and they were talking about the Crawley will. So Nancy was like, I'm just going to adjust my seat a little bit and listen <laughs> um, and see what they're talking about. And uh... what they were saying was, listen, I don't believe Josiah made another will. We watched him closely. But then remember that one time he had got away? He got away from us a couple of times. Then they said... Um, they saw Nancy talking to them Hoover girls, so Nancy must think there's another will. And if her father is involved, they'll certainly dig that will up. Oh, I hate Nancy. She always in our business. And then, they right. Isabel said, <laughs> their parents won't let that pile of money get away from them. They deserve that, 
that money. It's theirs by right. They put up with him for three years, never accepted any money for room and board. And Nancy goes to tell her father what she had heard, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she decides that she has to find that will and any other relatives that was expecting to get money from Josiah. Her dad reminds her that her little detective work, it ain't really safe. And she needs to be <laughs> careful about Mr. Topper because but he says unpleasant. it in passing. Like, unpleasant. And yeah, he they're passing the peas. They passing the peas at dinner. He like, okay, can I have some ketchup? Because, you know, they like to put ketchup on everything. <laughs> And he's like, you know, you could die. Oh, and also um, more peas, please. Do you have the spoon? Don't forget you could die. Nancy said, Daddy, I'm scared. Great. <laughs> Her father said, I'm so glad you have courage of conviction. <laughs> I, just, I like that in you. I like that in you. <laughs> I just wanted you to know what you were up against. And you know what? If they bother you, I got your back. See, he a lawyer. He know that by saying this, he has reclused himself from any responsibility for her imminent demise. <laughs> Nancy decides to go back and speak to the golden aunties, you know, the ones that was raiding Judy, and find mm-hmm. out if they know of Josiah's other relatives. And what she finds is that the police hadn't caught the thieves yet, but they learned that more of the golden aunties goods were stolen than they originally thought so they named a couple cousins these Matthew brothers now the sisters the golden aunties was actually engaged to the Matthew brothers but when they got the little Judy they was like oh we can't marry y'all so they all just <laughs> single anyway that's just mm-hmm. a side note and then there was aunt there was uh Abby now that was the cousin on Josiah's wife's side mm-hmm. and from them Nancy learned that they were all promised money by Josiah and actually, and actually Abby saw the will, not the direct contents of the will, but Josiah was holding a bunch of papers and he had told her that he res- revised the will himself and he had witnesses. And while Nancy was trying to get Abby to jog her memory, the clock chimed and Abby recalled that Josiah said that he hid the will in the clock. Oh, wait. Um, Actually, I don't know what he said, but I think maybe he did. I'm not completely sure. (laughs) Abby is 80 and also very forgetful. So she wasn't Mm -hmm. sure. But, you know, that's the clock made her think of something. I'm just saying. (laughs) Abby then remember what. She's just staring at the clock like, ah, something. And then she's like, what is it? I need to know the business. And the lady's like, oh, uh, uh, something about the clock. (laughs) Exactly. Nancy is a terror. (laughs) No, no. And then Abby (laughs) then remembered what Josiah actually said. Abby, after I'm dead, if my last will isn't found, you can learn about it in a notebook. Well, because the chime of the clock triggered a memory for Abby Nancy decides to keep that in the back of her mind and ask if there is a family clock and Abby says yeah it went with the Toppums with all Josiah's other belongings so the Toppums got Mm -hmm. it as Nancy pulls into her driveway she's thinking about what she's learned and how she can get into the Topham house to see this clock she needs to check it out then she hears a familiar voice it's a school friend, Helen, and Helen is selling tickets to a charity ball. And Nancy sees an opportunity and decides, look, Helen, give me them tickets. I'll sell them for you. 
And when Nancy, that's her way to get into the Topham's house. So she goes to the Topham's house, their pretentious home, and she tells them that she is here to sell tickets to the most important function of the year in River Heights. And Miss Topham immediately responds, ha, I'm not interested. Nancy now, says, just wait a second. Imagine you shopping in a store with your friend or your sister in this case, a girl you do not like <laughs> that, you know, from school is all in your face, all in your business, just like she was when y'all was in school. And you like, man, I really something wrong with Nancy, like in the head. <laughs> and then you go home and she shows up to your door. <laughs> With like tickets to this party you ain't even heard of. You don't even believe it exists. Like she might be, I don't know. So Mrs. Topham is like, I can't be giving out money to anybody that asks. So Nancy reminds Mrs. Topham, look, this is one of the biggest and, you know, loveliest affairs in River Heights. She's appealing to Mrs. Topham's aspirations to be accepted by the best families in River Heights. And right mm-hmm. when Nancy was about to make the big sale, Ada and Isabel walk in. They say, good grief. Nancy <laughs> <laughs> is here again. They told their mom. Home. <laughs> At our home. Nancy is trying to kill us. Why will no one listen? They're like, listen, we don't want to go to no event that everybody could go to. We only want to go to the exclusive affairs. Get out of here, Nancy. Just then, Mr. Topham walks in. And after being introduced to by Mrs. Topham to Mr. Topham, he says, you selling something, kid? Okay, give me, give me. I'll take four of them. Um, and you can keep the change for your charity. The women are all floored. They're like, Daddy, why you buying from her? She crummy and stuff. <laughs> Mr. Topham is like, look, this is a donation that will entitle us to have our names on programs as patrons. Once the, Mr. Topham said that, the women was like, oh, gosh, okay, whatever. So mm-hmm. Nancy still needed to get some information. So she faked like her watch was broke and asked about the time. And they're like, look, dummy, it's a clock over there in front of you. <laughs> Nancy was like, oh, is that the famous Crowley clock I've heard so much about? And the topping women are so offended. They're like, no, we got rid of that monstrosity. We couldn't have that little cheap clock cluttering up our home. And we sent it to the <laughs> lake house. Okay, if you're ever in the area, though, you could go stop in the house and um, see it. It's got some really fine pieces. In the meantime, the caretaker. Yeah, the keeper of the house will show you around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, even though they don't like her, they did tell her to go look at their house. Okay, don't forget that. They still vain. Yeah. (laughs) Nancy remembers like, oh, yeah, my friend told me to go over to Moon Lake because that's where their lake house is. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going up to the to the camping spot and then I'll hit the top and bungalow and see if the clock is there. So as Nancy arrives at the top and bungalow, she notices some tire tracks and she she thinks maybe it's a delivery truck or something. And she decides to walk by the water. She kind of parks her car up by the road and then walks kind of behind to the water, look at the water and then walks to the house. And as she approaches the bungalow, she it looks like the topums are moving out and she's like, what? The front and side door are open. Furniture's on the porch is overturned and some household items are strewn about. And so she checks out the scene and she noticed that her boot prints and long lines from dragging furniture and cartons. And, you know, the topums didn't say they were moving. So 
what's going on here? She's puzzled and she walks to the porch to kind of knock on to knock on the door and no one answers. And Nancy's like, well, where's the caretaker? Shouldn't the caretaker be here? Nancy decides she's going to walk in the house, y'all. <laughs> yeah, Nancy going to walk up in the house. So Nancy walk up in the house <laughs> and the living room is like empty. And it's in disarray. It's empty and it's in disarray, y'all. Something's happening. Nancy's like, what's going on here? And she realizes that the bungalow may be getting robbed. Yes, It's like y'all. that scene in Fresh Prince where he's standing in the empty living room looking around <laughs> and all the stuff is gone. <laughs> yeah. And she pulls up and she thinks, maybe I scared the thieves away. So Nancy's a bit nervous, but she decides she's got to look. Since I'm here, I'm going to look for this clock. Okay, y'all? And she's looking around and she don't see the clock. And as she turns to leave, she sees a thieves. So then Nancy hurries up and hides, right? And the thieves are the ones, they look like the same ones. They fit the description that was at the auntie's house, right? Yeah. Still in a silverware. Mm-hmm. And so Nancy is hidden and she could hear the conversation of the thieves. And they are determined that they need to get out of the house before the girl returns. Cause then she'll start talking and stuff. And it's like, well, if we run into her, we'll give her a little smooth story and send her away. And then as the thieves are grabbing up their items, Nancy's in the closet and um she sneezes. She sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> they find out that Nancy is in the closet. So they come and get Nancy. They're like, what are you doing here, girl? You, you sneaking up on us? Nancy's like, no, but y'all shouldn't be here. Y'all shouldn't be here. Y'all can't be stealing their stuff. You weren't invited. <laughs> and Nancy is like, and the thieves are like, we're going to take care of you, lady. So they shove her in the closet. And I thought, finally, <laughs> someone giving Nancy her just desserts. But no, nah, they just throw her in like a closet or something. They close her and Which is stupid. It. They took her. Yeah, they took her out of the closet to throw her in another closet and locked her down. I said, these thieves are dumb. <laughs> so Nancy is in the closet. She's very concerned, you know. They had broke away. The, the thieves locked her in the closet and left, right? Mm-hmm. They should have called the police and said they saw an 18-year-old blonde girl stealing furniture out of a house. You might want to look into it. <laughs> They could have did that. <laughs> but guess what? When Nancy's locked in the closet and um they leave, what's the first thing she think of? Nancy said, they left me here to starve. Nancy <laughs> is hungry, y'all. Nancy ain't ate in a while. So she is hungry. She is in the closet hungry. And all Nancy could do was scream. But she knew wasn't nobody there. And she said, Helen, now she was visiting her friend at the campsite also, but Helen thought she was gone. Her father thought she was going to be gone for a week. So Nancy is just like about to lose her mind. Then she Yeah, realized, no one's going to come look for me. Mm-hmm. And she's starving. Don't forget. She and Nancy is starving. <laughs> Nancy is um, starting to panic and she was near tears. Then she realizes she need to she need to be rational and check her surroundings <laughs> for something that could help her get out of the closet. So she finds something that's a rod in the closet and she uses it to start hitting on the door so she can get out. And just as the door was making way, she hears footsteps. So she got quiet. <laughs> and she's like, who was that? Did they come back to get me? Oh, no. They would be long gone. They wouldn't come back to get me because they'd be trying to get away. It turns out it's the caretaker, Jeff Tucker. So he helps Nancy out of the closet. And together, they go to the police station to tell on demands. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before uh, they get to the police station on the way 
on the way to the police station, Nancy's like, um, could you tell me something about that uh, mantle clock that y'all had had in the house? I would like to know about that. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, that mantle clock was stolen by the thieves. It ain't there no more. But we did have it. It was there. So they get to the police station. That's the caretaker and Nancy. And they tell the police what happened. And Nancy takes the police to the van tracks that she's seen. And once they reach the state line, so the police are following Nancy so she could direct them to the van tracks, right? (laughs) Nancy's leading the way here. But once they get to the police line, they was like, oh, we can't go no further, Nancy. That's beyond our jurisdiction. So we're going to stay right here. Nancy but you says, can go. <laughs> Nancy's like, <laughs> well, then I'll keep going because that's the way on the way to my house. And, I, you know, I'll let you know if I see them. <sighs> I'll tell you. So she driving around on the way home. And then she notices this little inn. She's like, you know what? Maybe the, the thieves stopped and got something to eat, eat and they hid <laughs> their vehicle. I'm going to check it out. So Nancy Mm -hmm. pulls up to the end and goes around the back and she sees, she sees the van, y'all. And she (laughs) see this van and she was like, I'm going to get in that van. And so she was thinking like, maybe they left the keys. So she opens the front door, (laughs) y'all. Gets the keys from under the carpet (laughs) and then goes around to the back and opens up the van door, y'all. And there you go. The clock is right there. So Nancy grabs the clock out, right? She cl- She's like, this is what I've been looking for. So she inspecting the clock and she's like, ain't no wheel yeah, in can't here. See it, but Alexis is acting <laughs> out this whole scene as if this is a video. Please continue. I am so entertained. What else she do? So she's looking at this clock and she's like, this don't look like it. Will is in here. And this is like, oh, oh, let me think. Let me try. <clears throat> I know it's a notebook in here. So Nancy pulls, pulls the clock apart. I mean, y'all. for anybody that appreciates orology or timepieces, this girl has found an antique clock and her immediate action is to take it apart. Mm-hmm. She got to find the notebook. The mechanisms. <laughs> she pulling the clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an antique clock. Yep, Nancy okay. did that. And not hers. It's not her clock. <laughs> right. It's not her clock at all, y'all. <laughs> Nancy has stolen the clock from the thieves. <laughs> so, I know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she look and she see the notebook is in there. So she put the clock back together and she put it in her back seat. And then she go and catch up with the police. She's like, police, I found them. I found them. <laughs> and she directs them to them. They arrest them. And then for some reason, Nancy ends up taking the police chief back, but she got to tell him that she has stole the clock first. But could you let me off? Cause I got to go home. I'm a little tired and I want yeah, to solve so the she, case. So she, <laughs> she has the notebook she found in the clock in her back pocket. But the clock is in the her own car. She's stolen it from the thieves and put it in her own car. And then she helps the police find the thieves. So for some reason, one of the officers are is like, can I ride back in your car, Nancy? <laughs> and this is where I have to get serious. Why would an officer ever want to ride along with an 18-year-old girl in a convertible with a top that don't even work? <laughs> So they slowly walk into the car and in my mind and heart, I'm like, ooh, 
this is where things get dark. <laughs> but no, no then no. I remember this is a kid's book from the 30s. <laughs> they don't. And so, mm-hmm. and so she, the only problem is she has stolen merchandise in her front mm-hmm. seat, but she explains it away. And she's 18 and blonde, so it's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so Nancy <laughs> goes home. She got the notebook. She gave the clock back to the police because she wasn't really trying to steal it. She just borrowed it to get what she needed out of it. But she didn't tell kids nobody. Never allow, kids never <laughs> allow an officer to ride alone with you. Never be alone with an officer if you can help it. If you can help it, y'all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So Don't do that. She got the notebook. She goes home and looks at the notebook. And the case is solved because in the notebook... Josiah tells them exactly where the will is. Y'all, it is in a safety box, safety deposit box down the street at the local bank. <laughs> Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. And how? And y'all, the will <laughs> is set up just the way Josiah Crawley said it was. He leave all the money to his friends and the toppings don't get nothing. Don't get nothing, y'all. And guess what? That's the end. <laughs> let's take a quick break. Yeah, let's do it. And we're back. So, Kyrie, what is your final verdict and would you recommend this book? I found this book very offensive. Um, Everyone who's good in this book is also beautiful and very white. Uh, This was 1930. And just as a reminder, um, 1948, Truman, like, ordered the integration of the military. 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education. Uh, What else? 1965, the Voting Rights Act, which ended efforts made to stop minorities from suffrage. Uh, yeah, so in the 30s, where would I have been? Mm. Not in a um, convertible lemon getting in everyone's business. <laughs> Wouldn't have been me. And I just found Nancy very self-righteous, very nosy. And okay, I'm glad that all these poor people got money. But being poor, their type of poor is not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> So really what happened here is we have um, some literature that encourages young people to not mind their business, walk up in people's houses and allowed officers to ride alone with them in the car for no good reason. It was a different time. Also still. It was a different time. No, no, I don't subscribe to that. It was just allowed, but it was wrong always. Also a different time. So I found this book very vulgar, um, very violent, and I would not recommend it. What about you, Alexis? (laughs) I was so bored reading this book. I've never been more (laughs) bored in my life. I was like, I don't never remember reading this book in my youth. I'm telling you, I was bored. I think you recommended it in the first show of our season. I did. And I think I will take that recommendation back. (laughs) Whoever uh, sent in that survey and I recommended it to you, uh, write us. Let me know because I got another recommendation for you. I'm going to think about it. This one? Literally anything else. (laughs) Anything else because I was bored out of my mind. I was like, why are they telling me she beautiful? 
And why is she attracted to all the beautiful people? Yes. Nancy was immediately attracted to them. (laughs) And they had beautiful singing voices. Girl, what? This is 1930. It's a struggle all around Nancy and Nancy don't care. That's all I see. What is this book? That Mm -hmm. is what I would say. And then, you know what? Any nieces and nephews out there, don't read this book. I encourage you, don't read it. Don't. I and would not never just read it your again. your nieces and nephews, all the nieces and nephews. All the don't nieces read and nephews, don't read this book. It's better books out there, I promise you. So stop now and I allow me some time to research and I will get you better recommendations. Put this down and go read Sound of Stars, please. There Thank are you. other books, I promise you. So um, no, not going to read it. Don't ever have to see the book again. In fact, <laughs> it was the most boring book I ever read in my life. So, you know, there was a Nancy Drew movie, um, too. Did you ever see it? Nope. Me neither. Nope. <laughs> I don't know if it did well. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So that's that. Mm-hmm. So thank you for opening our eyes to what we already knew. And that is. We never have to read a Nancy Drew book. But I'm glad we read it because now I feel like you won't make me read The Hardy Boys. What are we reading next week? The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. And those books were different. This was 1930s. Well, you find a good one then. I promise that I will. Maybe we'll. Okay. Mm -hmm, I promise. (sighs) Yeah. Okay, Alexis. And what are we reading next week? Sis. Listen. For the for the five remaining listeners we have on this show <laughs> of this show. What are we reading? We are next reading oh, mm, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Y'all, we're gonna get into that. I'm excited. Yeah, so you you, you see readers that um every time Alexis diverts, I try to one eighty or back on track. <laughs> so we read the Nancy Drew, now we reading Malcolm X. Then we'll read the Hardy Boys. Then we'll read Roots. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. So next week, the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to to Alex Haley. Have you read this book before? I haven't. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, very cool. Okay. So I've read it. The physical book, um, the pages, I've read it, but I'm looking wow. forward to listening to Lawrence Fishburne as he did a um, edition of the Audible version um, exclusive to Amazon. So I'm going to listen to that. All right. And thank you all for listening to our show. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Sonaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our five show on stars. Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love, we you love too. y'all too. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, and even if you haven't, tell a friend that you did. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read read something. something!